Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. We thank you. God, you're speaking to us. And Lord, that's good. And Lord, we want to be listening. Lord, we want to be hearing, Lord, with that spiritual ear. And then, Lord, we, we, we really want to see that word, um, Lord, that has that prophetic flow, Lord, just, uh, Lord, implanted in our hearts. And that, God, it affects our lives in such a way that, Lord, you can adjust us. Lord, you can, um, Lord, if we've got one tire off the track, God, that we can get back on center. Lord, if there are things in our lives, God, that are discouraging us or, Lord, are, are Lord, really challenging us, Lord, that we would really just, in these, in, in these days, grab a hold of you. Jesus, we thank you that you're here and you are at the center of it all. And so, Lord, through this message today, God, may we continue to be right in the middle of that target, right in the middle of your heart. Help us, God. We thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever notice that life just doesn't turn out the way you expected it to? You know, just never really does. Whatever the reason, by our choice or God's, you know, his design, life is an adventure. Sometimes it seems more like a nightmare, though. But at the very moment we give our lives to Christ, now get this point, the moment we give our lives to Christ, our path becomes a, a heavenly one. We, we get gathered into a supernatural plan. It's almost like we're written right into the book, instantly. You're reading along, and all of a sudden your name shows up the moment you give your life to Christ. At least from our perspective, that's really takes, is taking place. Our lives now become a part of the plot, the drama. And it really feels like that sometimes, the drama, doesn't it? The temptation is to feel that our lives do not matter or that God does not care. Perhaps those despairing words have come out of your mouth of late. But, oh, Christian, do not be deceived, for surely the devil would have you think these things, because nothing is further from the truth. Your life does matter, and you are now a part of the great story. And the saga that is your life is meant to be a chapter for the glory of God. How does this happen, you ask? Why? Or why don't you, we look at the very special person that we find in the Bible so that we can learn more? I'm enjoying doing this of late, and that is to look at what we call the champions or the, the fathers of the faith, to just see, because they're there for that very special reason of encouraging us and helping us to match our lives to theirs, to see what principles uh, of truth, of encouragement we can gain in the journey that we have. So I want to talk about Daniel today. Of course, Daniel is, is, I mean, we could do a whole year on Daniel. You know, you could spend a lot of time talking about Daniel because the facets of his life uh, are, are multi, multifaceted. And you can see the prophetic flow. You can see that God, and what I love about Daniel is that he really does supersede his time. That he was a man before his time. And, and, it, and there's a reason for that, and there's a reason for that. 
And uh, so I want to talk about from prison to purpose today. In the light of where we do struggle, in the light of how we're trying to match the experiences we have with what we know is a sovereign plan. And that's a very difficult thing to do at times. Because we're just saying, God, I know you've got a plan, but man, I sure don't see it here. And so to marry those up really does take faith. It takes an insistence. In other words, you know, it, it's, 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 it's pressing it in there with courage, with determination. And I like Daniel because I see him doing that. And so let's take a look. I want to go through a little bit of history, as you know I like to do, and then let's extract some, some, some truth today. You know, Israel is besieged. And many thousands of people are taken away into exile. This is, this is Judah and Benjamin. This is the second exile. First one took place around 522 B.C. Ten northern tribes. We actually talked about those last week. And then a couple hundred years later, finally, Judah and Benjamin, the last surviving uh, tribes, are finally, after many warnings, in the sins of Manasseh, finally, God sends the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And they besiege Jerusalem. And you know what that means? That means they gather around the city and they just stay there. In other words, so people can't come and go. So really, they don't have to fire a shot. They don't have to do anything but just wait. And so to starve the people. And uh, you can read about that in the book of Jeremiah, of what just would take place during the, you know, a time of a siege. And the people struggled. They battled. There were false prophets that were speaking to the king during that time. But Jeremiah was faithfully saying, look, this is God. This is God from beginning to end. This is God's judgment, and he's turning a page in your life, and it's best to just go with it. It's best to just let God take you. It's best to just... Let God do what he's going to do. And so, again, this is the culmination of many years of warnings by the prophets, but it comes to pass. Finally, the siege uh, bears, you know, it, it works, and the Babylonians are able to take the city, burn it to the ground, destroy the temple, wipe out all vestiges of the people of God. During that time, and among those exiles, because what they did, some of them were sent, as, as Babylon, the Babylonians would do, is they would take these people and they would spread them among their, their, their provinces throughout the known world, and they do a little mix and match. In other words, they, they could completely destroy a people by blending them. So they could in, in, in what, in a, in a successfully destroy their culture. So if you would take one group of people, mix them with another group of people, then their culture would just be so watered down, they would have no sense of nationalism. Take the gut right out of who they were as a people. And they were successful in doing that. But Nebuchadnezzar did take some of those people, and he took them back to Babylon, Babylon, especially those ones who came from privileged families. Educated. um, Privilege. And having, you know... uh, you know, bearing, you know, having been raised in a, in a, in a, in a uh, place of privilege. And so four of these young men, among these, we don't know how many total, but it was probably hundreds, 
Of these four young men, Daniel was one of those. And we don't know exactly how old he was, but he was probably a teenager. And so these young men are taken into this place where they're imprisoned, but they're given some uh, room to be able to exercise and to move. And and so they're going to feed them. And one of the biggest goals was, of course, I, I say here, they took them into special custody and they were to be trained in the literature and the language of Babylon. So in other words, to teach them their culture because they wanted them to be a part of Babylon. They knew, they're like, hey, look, why reinvent the wheel? Let's take some of these people that, you know, have already, a lot's been poured into them and let's just teach them our language and culture. So Daniel's one of those. And you know the story. We've all read about Daniel. So that in the end, he might be useful to the king. And, and, and if you look at it from the king's standpoint, then he can kind of choose. Okay, who, who, who rises to the top? Who's the cream? And I'll take those guys. And, and what we find out is that these four young men are the ones. And, and, and of course, you know the story about him you know, choosing the food. See, I'm not make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself here. Maybe I should just stick to the notes. That's always good, isn't it? That's always a good idea. All right. This would be a struggle for any young man. Any young man. No doubt he would struggle with the bitterness because his people have been destroyed. No doubt he watched many of them die right in front of him. And so now, you know, he's being taken and said, look, hey, happy day. You get to live. And we're going to teach you Babylonian. And we're going to teach you who we are. And Dan, you could know in his heart, he's like, who cares? You're pagans. I don't understand why God hasn't destroyed you yet, but I don't want to know anything about you. But you don't get that spirit in Daniel. There's something taking place. Likely Daniel heard and heeded the words of Jeremiah is is what I'm trying to point out here. Because Jeremiah said, look, this is what the Lord says. This is judgment. Babylon is being sent by me. Your enemies are in cohorts with me, and they're going to destroy you by my call. Now, that's a pretty frightening thought, isn't it? It's almost like God speaking to another nation and saying, America, you've been blessed, but you've, you've destroyed what I've given you, and I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to bless another nation to come and to destroy you. And to say that that could never, ever happen again in history is kind of a foolish thought. There's almost, you know, there's more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Think about that just for a second. So so Jeremiah stated that the people of Israel should not fight against their captors. The king refused to do that. He tried to ride away, and they caught him, and they killed him. Some believe that Jeremiah died in that exchange and was the, was the prophet who was sawed in half that is referred to in scripture but daniel didn't we get that feeling that Jan- daniel did not fight against the word of the lord and that he went and he allowed his captors to take him didn't fight you know he could have resisted could have grabbed a pot shard as he was walking by and used that as a weapon and fought and let him and just say, look, look, I'm not letting you take me alive. I mean, he could have done that. I mean, think it through. I mean, many of us, that's what we would do. It's like, what, you're going to take me away? No, no, not without a fight. But Daniel didn't. He didn't. Why? 
Well, again, I think it's because he knew the word of the Lord. And he knew that God was up to something. So he gets there. Of course, you know the story. He refuses to eat their food. He doesn't want to be defiled because Jews don't eat pork. They don't eat uh, some of these defiled types of foods. And so he just is like, no, I'm not touching any of that. And he says, and so, but he, God puts a wisdom in him, and he appeals. Rather than starve to death, foolishly, he says, look, I make a deal with you. Feed us only vegetables. Keep feeding the rest of the guys what you want to feed them, your pork and your, your delicacies and all the weird food that you eat. But just feed us vegetables, and let's just, you know, see what happens. And of course, he prospers. They look good. They look great. And he compares them, and so the, all the other guys get all their food taken away, and they give them everybody only vegetables. And you could see them all complaining, right? Ah, oh, man, those McRibs were, were awesome. What are you doing? Now I got broccoli and cauliflower. They must have been mad at O'Daniel on that day. But what happens is, right then and there, that guard notices something different about this guy, and in those four guys in particular. And that there's something different about there's a There's a purpose. There's a focus. There's not that despair. There's not that I'm just giving and just going through the motions. No, it's like, look, I know that God is up to something in the midst of my difficulty. Now get that. Because that's the most important part of really what I'm trying to communicate here today. Is that, that Daniel saw that his life still had meaning and purpose even in the midst of a very difficult situation. I mean, more than a difficult situation. I mean, hell on earth, right? Your family have, were killed and murdered. We don't know what happened to Daniel's family, but they probably were all either sent away into exile or murdered right in front of him. That would cause anyone to just say, you know, to blank with this. Where is God when you need him? I mean, all of the, I mean can, can you see what some would have done? All these psalms I've read in the Bible, all, of this, all these promises from God. Where's God now? Can you see that? Can you feel it? But Daniel says no. No, 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 no. There's something else going on here. I have a feeling there's going to be a part two to this, so let's just move on. So you should fight against his captors. They should submit and they would live. The plan all along was for them to come back, and Daniel knew that. Daniel knew through the prophets that God was going to judge the nation, but they were going to come back. Because Daniel, Daniel said, uh, or Jeremiah said that. He said, now look, 70 years you're going to be in captivity. 70 years you're going to be gone away, but you will come back. Isaiah prophesied it as well. And it says, you, you, you went forth with weeping, but you'll come back. Your day is coming. So Jeremiah was, I'm sorry, Daniel was holding on to a promise. What people often do not understand is that God was now on the side of Israel's enemy. His favor was now with them. However, we find something deep in the heart of Daniel who appears to be the leader of the four. He has a gift of making an appeal in a wise, non-threatening way. And this wouldn't be the last time that Daniel did this. Out from him, that wisdom poured out because he wasn't panicking. He wasn't giving up on God. 
he thought, you know what? God is still in charge. I need to shine in the middle of my difficult circumstances. Obviously, he starts to gain favor by refusing, again, I told you the story about the, the unclean food. So God begins to position these four guys to come into a place of influence. They begin to rise among their, above their peers. And my guess is it's because of this very one character quality, this very thing that you see is that these men are being raised up not because they're smarter, not because they're stronger, not because of any other natural gift, but I think it's because of their conviction. I think it's because of their determination to stand in the middle of their circumstances and continue to stand up for God. And we've got to catch this. We've got to catch this. We'll come back to it. But I, I want you to see the story. You, you need to see what's taking place here. So they, they, the four guys are all elevated, and, and we don't know. They're probably given you know, special clothes, and they're acolytes. They're, they're, they're men, young men who, who serve in, the, in and among them, so they're taken out of an imprisoned situation, given some measure of privilege and, and an ability to, to, to function. They're numbered among the wise men, the magi, they eventually are called. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And oddly enough, it comes straight from God. Isn't that amazing? Nebuchadnezzar later becomes, as we know, a follower of Jehovah. In other words, he gets saved. And you can read about the rest of that later in Daniel as to what takes place there. But the king demands an impossible thing from the wise men. God uses it as an opportunity to show forth his glory and elevate his people among the pagan wise men. And Daniel recognizes this opportunity and appeals to God and saves many, many people. So what goes on, you know the story, the king has this, this, this dream that is prophetic. It's not just prophetic for their times, it's prophetic for the time. The king gets a picture of the Greco-Roman world. He gets a picture of Alexander the Great. He gets a picture of Rome, the great, strong. And he said, and out of that kingdom would come a kingdom that would never end. I'll tell you what kingdom that is here in just a second. So Daniel is seeing this. Once again, what I want to point out is that Daniel doesn't panic because now, guess what? So somebody knocks on your door hey, how you doing today? Look, I just want to let you know I'm here to kill you. You're going to die today. Isn't that a great thing? And matter of fact, all of a particular school is going to die today because somebody got angry and didn't like that school. So everybody's going to die. The king got angry because he said, look, I don't, want you to, I don't want to tell you my dream and you give me some bogus interpretation. I know you guys are smart enough that you could come up with just anything. He said, no. I want you to tell me my dream and interpret it. Woo, that's a tall order now. That means you, get, you have to be tapped in to whoever gave the dream. And so the, all the wise guys come, call them the wise guys, right? The wise team. They walk in there saying, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, no. He says, you guys are stolen. He finally, the king gets angry. And we know in Proverbs it says never to do that. King gets angry, and he says, that's it. You're all dying. He says, you are worthless. Kill them all. So he sends the soldiers out, and they're going to literally, you know, 
destroy every single wise man in the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel hears about this. Because the guy comes to him and he says, hey, how you doing, Daniel? Gosh, I love you, man. I got to kill you. And Daniel's like, oh, time out, time out. Why is the king so upset? I see, he could have panicked. He could have said, hey, listen, let me go get some things from the back that I'd really like to be holding when I die and hit the back door and start running. Like that would do any good. But I mean, that's what happens to us sometimes, right? You get up a difficulty, it comes your way, and all you want to do is just bail on it. And it's like, okay, I'm out of here. Out the door you go. But he says, no, 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 okay, I've got to face this. God is up to something. Why? I, I mean, I, gotta get, I, I just can't not give this to you. The reason why is that Daniel knows his life has a purpose. He never abandons that ever. Until his very last breath, which then his purpose is culminated in heaven. We've got to see that, folks. Because too many of us as Christians, we separate our lives from the divine purpose. We think we've got this some little weird strain going on. That we're on our own little, little journey or, or, or that we, we're on that little, that little part of the creek that nobody really travels on. Mm-mm. Your life is caught up in all of it. And regardless of what news you've heard, regardless of what, 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 what difficulty comes your way, can any of us compare our life to Daniel's in any way, shape, or form? I mean, maybe there's a few of us, but I mean, has somebody, somebody come uh, to try to take your life recently? Probably not. So there's Daniel. He's standing in the middle of that. He says, wait a minute. Tell me what the king, why is the king so mad? He says, because he had a dream, and none of you guys can interpret it. Well, did he tell him the dream? No, he wants you to figure the dream out too. He goes, okay, okay, just, just chill. He said, tell you what, I need to talk to the king. He says, well, you're Daniel. See, any other wise man who said, can I talk to the king? Then he said, no, he's done with you guys. But Daniel had his favor. And that, and that uh, the, you know, the servant who was in charge of all these guys said, look, I'm going to get you a meeting with the king. Because Daniel, they love Daniel. They like Daniel. They don't want to have to kill Daniel. So they bring before the king. He says, king, look, give me some time. King's like, I don't like the way this is going, Daniel, but I tell you what, once again, because it's you, I'm going to give you 24 hours. So Daniel goes back to his other buddies and says, look, you know, sits down at the table, how you all doing? You get to live another day. We got to pray. We got to seek God. Because God is up to something. I don't know what it is, but we need to find out. So they all pray, and they probably fast and seek the Lord. And sure enough, in the middle of the night, as Daniel is sleeping, God gives him not only the dream, but he gives him the interpretation of the dream. Boy, that would have been a nice morning, wouldn't it? Woken up, da da Man, you're shaving. I mean, you, I mean, he's having a great time. So he comes before the king, the king and he tells, him the, the, he tells him the dream and the interpretation. Man, as I said, this is no ordinary dream. This is the dream. It's the dream. And Daniel gets to show him, and Daniel's so wise in the telling. And I just love it, how Daniel records. And again, we just don't have the time to just go through that, but I want you to go through and read that, Daniel 1 and 2, and just read how Daniel responds to the king. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's it's, It's a study in how you approach authority. And he comes and he says, 
King Nebuchadnezzar, do you know how blessed you are? I mean, I'm just going to do it in my vernacular. King, do you know how blessed you are that God loves you enough to share this kind of stuff with you? God revealed to you what is going to happen in the end times. God has shown you favor. Because he said, and the king starts off by saying, has God, has, 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 has God shown you the interpretation of this dream? He says, no. I don't, no, I'm sorry. He says, have you interpreted the dream? Have you, do you know what to tell me? He says, nobody can do this. I can't do it, and no man can do it. And you, you could just see the king looking over at the servant saying, take him, kill him. But he says, but God can. Don't you love that? Daniel shifts the glory to where it belongs. Daniel could have easily subverted that, couldn't he have? And just said, yeah, those other wise men, they just don't have it, King. Matter of fact, if you want to go ahead and knock off the rest of those guys and just leave me and my brothers to hang out, that's okay with me. And see, a lot of Christians do that. They bail and they take the glory for themselves. But Daniel doesn't. He says, man, God, no, no man can do this, but God can. And he loves you. And he gave you something very important, king. And so he shares the story. And, of course, it's about the statue. And you, you remember this. It, I mean, every preacher who's talked about the end times has used this dream of, Dan, of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, it, and it, it's awesome. Again, it speaks of the, the coming wave of, of, king, uh, of Alexander the Great, who's going to dominate the whole Mideast. And then that would die off, and then it would be superseded by the time of the Romans. And that that would be a kingdom that would self-destruct, as it did. Literally. I mean, you can look at that prophecy, and it all took place exactly as he said. And out of that came a new kingdom. We'll finish with that. But let's make some application here to finish today. See, we're all called to be Daniel. Now, let me just finish the story because, I mean, you, you know the life of Daniel. So Daniel, as a result of that, gets elevated to a place of incredible influence. Matter of fact, we understand he's like second most influential, second most powerful in all of Babylon as a result of this. It happens again later. We know that Daniel's going to have a, a lion's den experience. We know that Daniel's going to have some other things that are going to take place, the, the fiery furnace, but he goes through those in exactly the same way. Exactly the same way. So Daniel's life is, is just amazing study and trusting. But that's what I want you to get, is we're all called to be Daniel. We have been captured by a world that no longer loves God. It hates him, in fact. And what does the Bible call that? It calls it the Antichrist. See, the Antichrist is an actual person, but it's also a spirit that rises up in every generation of man. And that Antichrist is not, and how you know it, is that it attacks Jesus directly. It doesn't attack religion. It doesn't attack that kind of... No, it goes right after who he is. That thing is rising, raising its ugly head up again. One of the young people that uh, I talked to this past week said that during lunch, another young person walked right up to him and screamed in his face, F God, just as loud as he could do it. Folks, I, I mean, <laughs> that's, a, that's a microcosm of what's taking place. I mean, just take that anger 
that frustration, that growing animosity. It's happened in every generation, and it's happening again. We're called to be that Daniel during that time. Are we going to be the ones who sit over there and defile ourselves with what the world is doing? Or are we going to rise up and say, you know what? I don't know what's going on. And I see Christians falling like flies, but I'm going to be a Daniel. And I'm going to stand for him because my life does matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, I've got a lot of reason to be bitter. Is there anybody in this room that's got a lot of reason to be bitter here today? Sure you do. You ever been persecuted? You ever been taken advantage of? Somebody die in your family for an unjust reason? Is there, is, there un, is there injustice in your family line somewhere? I'd be willing to bet we've all experienced that. But we're not going to let that derail God's purpose and plan for our lives. You can hold on to that and be of those others. And you can be a part of the crowd who's over there eating the delicacies of the king and over there harboring and just thinking, man, I'm going to let them feed me. Man, I'm going to let them give me all the good stuff. Until that time, I'm going to cut their throats. The first chance I get. Because you're not getting at that hatred inside me, that bitterness. No, no, no. Daniel said, look, (laughs) later. Can I say this? Later. Daniel does the unthinkable unthinkable he repents for his own people's sins he repents for sins that he even did not commit whoa it's called identificational repentance by the way and daniel is the first one to do it it gets down on his knees and he says god we deserve this judgment ouch god what happened to us was supposed to happen. Who can, who can question you? Who can fight against you, almighty God? Are my people. And then he goes on to say, I repent on behalf of my people. Wow. Where does that kind of maturity come from? From taking every step, standing in the midst of the fire, standing in the midst of the lion's den, standing when nobody else is willing to stand. Sometimes we're called to stand alone. Sometimes we're looking around for the mob. Sometimes we're looking around for the crowd. And God says, no, you're you're called to walk this one out yourself. So we got to learn to stand for God in the middle of our circumstances and trust that our appeal to this godless society will in the end result in our favor and promotion. You can think about that one for a while. You can demand a promotion or you can just be quiet and do what you're told to do and be faithful and to serve. Serve and rise among your peers because they see something inside you. And you know what it often is? It's called character. Even lost people can recognize character. Even a lost person who does not care about anything else that's religious cares about you being loyal cares about you being on time, cares about you doing good work, cares about you having a word of wisdom. Excuse me, sir. Look, you know, I know you got a problem here, but can I submit that maybe we do this? Instead of going around, making noise, undercutting the people you know, going around and just saying, they're stupid. They don't know. I, I, used to work for, I used to work for UPS. You've heard me talk about that. And it was such a spirit 
that man, you were always just talking bad on the management, always talking bad on the management. It's like, man, they don't know what they're doing. A bunch of stupid guys. Oh, here they come. Shh, shh. You know, load you by. Hey, how you doing today, man? How's your family? Idiot. You know, and you could just see that and feel that spirit. But you know what? Every single guy that I knew, and Lee, you knew a bunch of them. Every one of those guys that worked there that, that saw themselves as, as a Daniel, they got elevated. They got promoted. Not because they were better workers, that's for sure, but they had better attitudes. Better attitudes. And that is called being a Daniel in our generation. Daniel was called to be exceptional, and so are we. If we choose to think so, his gentle spirit is such a picture of Christ, is it not? Who is, of course, our example. Daniel is a, what we call a type of Christ. He stands in the midst of his enemies, and he's, he's raised up because God raises him up. You know, I mean, I know I can see some of you wrestling. Is he, is he really saying that we could be like Daniel? Absolutely. And can I go on to say even more so? Because we've got more than what Daniel had. Daniel had just the old covenant. Daniel just had the Abrahamic covenant. He had the Mosaic covenant. But even then, that wasn't even fully understood. And here Daniel's holding on to this, 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 this godliness that is all just looking through, you know, shaded glass. And yet, he had that kind of determination to hold on to even that. He said, man, I... I don't know what it is that God is doing, but I I know he's God, and and he's promised to bless us. So I'm holding on to that. Folks, we don't even have glass in front of us. We have Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We have the one who's made it very plain, and every promise is made yes and amen for us. It's there for us to tap into. We have the Holy Spirit who is our power to be able to speak to things that that are not as if they were. We have all of that. A hundred times, a thousand times more ability to be like a Daniel in our generation. But are we willing to walk in it? Are we willing to step out into it? Christians, believe me, when I tell you, you absolutely can I love hearing the stories of, of, of people that I see God giving favor to, and I just smile because they understand something. They understand that it's like, look, God has told me I'm blessed. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to experience his favor. It's just going to be there, so I expect it. Daniel held on to his faith. Wisdom and courage is needed during the, this time on earth, folks. We've got to hold on. We cannot waver by the, the, the smooth-sounding arguments when Hollywood and all of its, uh, its glory. And it, it's funny sometimes. You know, we think that, that deception is going to come in the, the, in the form of an ogre that knocks on your door and says, Hello, I'm now going to speak something really bad. It's a lot harder when it's got makeup and it's all muscled up and beautied up. It's a lot harder when it's got that kind of appeal and what it, it, the look is different than the message. And inside your heart, you know it's wrong. You know what, what they're saying is wrong. 
but it whittles away chip by chip a resolve. Well, if they believe it, it's got to be true. They seem successful. They seem to have made it big. Whatever they believe must be counter. I mean, maybe the Bible's not completely right on some of these things. Daniel. Daniel. Got to stand up for what you know is right, even in the midst of a culture that seems to have won. Just think about that. Daniel's there, and his enemies gloat when they walk up to the jail cell. Daniel, why are you still holding on to this Jehovah crud? Didn't, I mean, don't you know we wiped out your whole nation? Don't you know that the temple no longer exists? You have no sacrifice. You have no Moses. You have no Abraham. You've got nothing. Why do you continue to hold on to this stuff? Because I know God is right. I know he promised me we're coming back. And even if it was just a small little trail of a promise, even though it just hung there in in one prophet's book who was long dead, Hold on to it. I'm trusting that God's people, we're going to come back. I don't know when. I don't know how. God says 70 years, and so I'll I'll be long gone by that time. Matter of fact, who knows? Daniel may have, if you figure out 70 years, he's a teenager, he probably got pretty doggone close to seeing it when Ezra and Nehemiah come along. But he holds on, folks. See, God will elevate us even in the midst of difficult circumstances. What we see as a prison can become a place for God's purpose to bloom. So many bail before God's purpose has a chance to even be revealed. We pull up the the, the plant. We pull up the roots of God's potential because we bail on him. Daniel fought through the discomfort of his situation trusting that no matter what, he belonged to God. And again, this is further exemplified in his experience in the lion's den that comes later. Woo! Talk about your faith being challenged then. But God shows up. How many, how many lion's, dens, lion's den experiences may we have if we really, really stand up for God? Will we have a few? I got a funny feeling They're coming. They may not be actual lions, but the threat of imprisonment, the threat of rights being taken away, the threat of garnishing our wages and taking every single dime away from us because what will happen when an organization finally comes out and says, Christian, you cannot preach what you're preaching. It's hate. Don't do that anymore or you go to jail. Folks, there are people who want that to happen today, who are being empowered, all in the name of tolerance, all in the name of love. Just because you don't hear it doesn't mean it doesn't, it it exists, believe me. Very sensitive to that. I'm not being paranoid. I just know my history. What does it say? Those who are not aware of history are doomed to repeat it. He interprets the dream 
you know, and he reveals the salvific plan of Christ. God wants to use our life in a supernatural way. It's struggles, it's battles, it's failures and victories to advance the kingdom of Christ in us. Let me read Daniel 2, 40 through, 44 through 45. In the time of those kings, this is a part of the dream, by the way, and Daniel's speaking this to the king, it's so awesome. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Say never. It'll never be destroyed, nor will it be left to any other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, and the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. What is he speaking of there? He's talking about the kingdom of God in Christ. That when Jesus came during the time of the Romans, he established a kingdom that is going to rule and reign forever. Nobody can take it down. No one can shake it. And even those things that I've told you about, the threats, do not fear, Christians. We may have to be in the lion's den one day. We may have to stand like Daniel's, but I'll tell you what, do you want to be a Daniel or would you be rather be one of those who get sawn in half and those take, taken off into exile? Or would you rather be those who were or, or, or eating all the delicacies and never rise up and who knows whatever happened to them? They probably end up being eunuchs. Yee. Yeah. Study it. It wasn't nice. I don't think the four guys uh, had that particular privilege. Thank God. But look, Daniel's life represented the sovereignty of God in bringing forth his purpose in every area of life through many different people in many different circumstances. Daniel outlives Nebuchadnezzar. Another king comes in, and there's Daniel who supersedes them all because the favor of God is on him. Nebuchadnezzar comes and goes and blows away like a flower that's dried and is gone. And comes, I think it's Darius after him. And there's these other kingdoms that are coming, and there is Daniel just standing faithfully. Folks, that's what we're called to be. Those who will stand faithfully in our times. But we can't defile ourselves with the delicacies of our, of our generation. Now, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about any of that. I mean, the Holy Spirit's got to speak that to you. What is it going to take for you to take that next step in your life to become that Daniel? Do you need to come out from among them and be separate for a time? Daniel was called to, to, to walk alone at times. That means in your school. That means in your workplace. Be the only one who chooses to do what's right. The only one who doesn't laugh at a joke. The only one who says, no, not doing that. That was Daniel. And that needs to be us. So I want to pray for us this morning. That we will dare to be a Daniel. That we will go from prison a purpose. So I'm willing to bet that some of you came in this morning and felt like somewhat of your life is, is a prison, that you're limited, that you're kind of getting ripped off somewhere. Please don't see it that way. 
Because it's out of that that God wants to birth something new and something great, if you'll just see it that way. Amen? Let's stand up this morning. And if I could have our prayer teams please come. If you would like prayer for anything this morning, in reference to the message, here in, in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to ask you and, and pray for us and for really just two, two basic things. But if we could all just bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, if you came this morning, you weren't really sure what to expect. But if this is your first time, or maybe you've been coming for a time, and, and God's been whittling away at your heart, you know deep inside that there are areas of trust in you. You're drawn to the flame. I mean, you know that church has some good stuff. But when it really comes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're stumbling there. As a matter of fact, you're not even really sure you do have one. Well, folks, you know, the Bible says that the Bible's been given to us, that these things are written that we might know confidently that we have a relationship with God. That's a work of the Holy Spirit done in us when we make a confession of faith. So if you're not certain that if you died tonight that you'd go to heaven, I want to give you a chance, maybe your last chance, to accept him, to receive him as your savior, to take you from prison to purpose. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. And with nobody looking around, if you just would raise your hand up, let me see it. I want to pray for you. Just take a second making that decision to give your life to Christ for the first time. Anyone? Okay. Yes, I see your hand there in the back. Anyone else? Don't be afraid. Because God loves you. He's for you. It's the greatest gift that any human could ever receive. It's the gift. The only real gift. Last call, anyone else? I want to pray. So, Lord, this one we pray for right now. Mm. One. The Bible tells us that all of heaven rejoices over when one makes that decision. So, Lord, we're participating in the party today. So, right where you are, just under your breath, say, Jesus, be my Savior. I receive you. And that wonderful gift. You died on the cross for my sins. I thank you that they're washed away. And that you promise. You promise. That I will belong to you forever. And I thank you. If you prayed that prayer today, don't leave without coming up here. We have something for you. It's a a little blue bag that has a Bible in it and some other information about your walk and your journey. Just ask one of our prayer teams. Now for the rest of us, Lord, as we finish, Lord, we want to dare to be Daniels. Lord, some of us have lived there for a long time. And Lord, it, it's easy, Lord, for us to even like be like John, to just wonder, Lord, what's going on? What are you doing? 
and to lose that divine prophetic perspective. It's easy to do. So Lord, I pray you'd fill us up, God, with divine perspective right now to just not give up, to give us that persevering spirit to press through. Lord, for those who are facing very difficult times right now, Lord, to let them put their hope in you, to not bail on you. Lord, some of us are angry with the wrong person. Lord, it's foolishness to be angry at you. We should be angry at the devil. We should be angry at his lies, his deception. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh passion for your ways. Fill us up, God, with that determination like Daniel all across this room right now in Jesus' name to stand in the midst of this culture. Lord, not to be fearful, because you, O oh God, will rescue us time and time again. Lord, maybe at 1159.59. But let us not give up, Lord, to stand for you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.